This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we're back in our series called Fixer Upper. And uh, you know what I didn't get, Steve, was the clicker. And so maybe you can hook us up with that, and that would be great. But this series, The Fixer Upper, we're, we're, because we are remodeling and because we're in the process of moving, however, we realize that the pace of taking all of this stuff down now slows a bit because now we have to make it last till August, okay? Uh, we may have to stick a few things back up, but, that, <laughs> but that's why things are coming down because we're in the process of taking things down here and moving and moving in there. Thank you, sir. You're quite the, uh, the whole idea of remodeling, though, if you've ever had a remodeling project, and virtually all of you have, um, you just, some of you have some that you don't want to talk about. Um, but the, the idea is that remodeling and what's happening in our Christian lives, actually there are some really strong parallels. There's things that we can learn, lessons to be learned by thinking about our Christian life and the growth that we hope to see. But by thinking about that like a remodeling project. So when we started, uh, we basically said that remodeling should, is, is an expected part of our salvation. We talked about the fact that some people are embarrassed if they, if they need to change. They feel like, oh, gee, I'm supposed to have arrived. I should have my stuff together. And the whole point is, no, you're not. We're all broken. We all need work. And there should be no shame connected with needing to do some renovation. Stuff gets old. And God is always in the process of making things new. In fact, Revelation 21, he says, I'm making all things new. That's part of what he's trying to do. And we learned last week or a couple weeks ago that um, the place that he likes to start is actually on the inside of us, not the outside. How much of religion has gone off the rails because they focused on the outside first? Certain haircuts, certain hem length, certain car you drive. Um, and the truth is, God wants those things to reflect his glory, but it starts on the inside. He changes us from the inside out, which makes sense because when sin first entered the world, where did it enter? It started in a person's heart, and it flowed out to their obedience, their actions, and their relationships. And so God, in putting the world right, he starts right where the problem started. That's in people's hearts. And so through faith... We can have a new heart, a new life, a new spirit. And now he begins to cause that, that truth to kind of work its way through the rest of our lives. So, sounds like remodeling to me. There's some pain associated with remodeling, uh, both real remodeling and spiritual remodeling. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. What we should talk about, I guess, this morning is... Oh, and by the way, I should back up and say that, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Jim did a great job talking about the fact that there is a master plan. This spiritual renovation isn't just ad hoc. We're not making, a, making it up as we go. But Jesus, as the master planner, actually knows what he wants to develop in our lives. And Pastor Nick did a great job reminding us that it's in our best interest to remember that not only is he a master planner, he's the boss. He's the site boss. He's the person calling the shots about what gets changed and when. And the sooner we learn to take direction from him and his spirit, the better things are going to go. Well, this morning I want to talk a little bit about demolition, something I'm qualified to do, and then the renovation. In every project, there's things that need to be torn down, and there's things that need to be rebuilt. And we're going to look at that just, just briefly this morning. 
If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. There's a, if you don't have a copy, well, I'm going to project the scriptures, but there's also a blue hardcover Bible in a chair near you. We'd invite you to follow along. So there are things in our spiritual lives that need to be dismantled, and there are other things that need to be rebuilt. Where and how do we figure out what those things are? Now, if, as we talk about things that need to be demolished in your life, I realize that almost all of you, if we pause for just a second and I say, what is it that needs to be demolished? You probably can think of something. You're thinking of a habit. You're thinking of a hurt. You're thinking of a, a hang-up. You're thinking about something that you consistently get wrong, a reaction that you know wasn't right bearing a grudge that you know should have been let go, a practice that you do over and over again. We're all aware that there's something to be demolished. But I want to warn you for a second. When you think about that, you might have a twinge of guilt. But I'm going to suggest that just feeling guilty about something is not the best way to decide what gets demolished. See, sometimes our feelings uh, are are not based in truth. There are times when people tear things down that actually there was nothing wrong with. But they have associated with something. There's other folks who, because that is precious to them, they never tear it down, no matter how in the way it is. So rather than relying on our feelings, we should probably find a more objective way of deciding what kinds of things should be changed. Jesus knows that's exactly what what he wants us to understand, and so we have his word. And in Colossians 1, I think we're going to begin to explore what needs to be demolished and then what needs to be built in its place. Let's start reading in verse 1, Colossians 3, 1. Since you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. You see, as believers in Jesus, now if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we would invite you to consider doing that. You see, Jesus, he's not just a teacher, not just a good role model, he actually is our Savior. He died to make the payment for your and my sin. Many of us here today are are here because we have believed in him. We've put our faith in his work on the cross. We think he died for us. And because of that, we can receive from him eternal life. So for us who are believers, we have a model to follow. I don't know if you've been through a model home lately. I have been. In fact, my sister was here visiting uh, for our daughter's wedding. And we were sitting around and said, well, do you want to go see something? Do you want to go do something? And she said, you know what? Sometimes it's fun to just go look at model homes. <laughs> Thought never occurred to me. <laughs> but we did. And it's kind of fun to go, oh, that's neat. Oh, that's a good idea. Hey, look at that. Really great. And, we, and before you know it, we're snapping pictures and getting all kinds of ideas, which we have done nothing with. But the, uh, hey, it's an idea. See, sometimes going through a model, you start to get ideas about where things could or should be. Jesus is that model. He doesn't just talk about the model. He doesn't just urge us to do that. He is the model. 
His life, if you don't know anything else, what to do in your spiritual life, if you will read the Gospels, listen, follow along, pay attention to what he says, what he doesn't say, who he speaks to, how he speaks to them, how he conducts himself, that alone is enough to provide you and I with the model for our lives. Well, he says, uh, Paul says in Colossians, to set our hearts and to set our minds. Now, um, he could be talking about two different things, our hearts, you know, our feelings, our affections, and then set your minds. And, and he might be talking about two kind of separate areas of our personality. That, well, that would work. I'm not sure that's what he means. I think he could be using those words interchangeably. Set the inside of you, the real you, your soul. But either way, it works. He says, set your hearts and minds on these things. The language is uh, active, imperative. He's saying, this is something that needs to be done, and it's in a present tense. He's saying, this needs to continue to happen. Keep setting your hearts. Keep setting your minds. I was watching one of my favorite shows last night because we recorded everything. <laughs> it's, a, it's a show about people who are dropped off in the middle of the wilderness. Now, supposed, they're supposed to survive alone, except... The whole season, they're not alone, which makes no sense to me. But they couldn't say alone, sort of. So, so we're watching the show. We enjoy it. And, and you know what's interesting? One of the challenges about having these two parties out in the wilderness, one of them has got to find the other. And the only thing they have to go on is a bearing, a compass bearing, a direction. And if you've ever tried to orient, do orient, any orienteering out in the woods, you realize that it is not as easy as it sounds when there's trees in the way and hills and whatever, and you've got to go around this obstacle. And before you know it, you, well, wait, was that from here or was that from here? Keeping an, an idea about what the bearing is is critical to finding your way in the woods. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Set, set your compass. Set your bearing. Set your hearts on things where? Above where Christ is. Set your hearts on things above and not on earthly things. It's a mistake to use a car on the freeway as a marker for your bearing. <laughs> you don't want objects that move. You want something that is going to stay the same. That's exactly what Paul was talking about. He said something similar to this in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but is what is unseen. Now that's interesting, isn't it? We don't have time this morning. Fix your eyes on something you can't see. What? But here, eyes is metaphorical. Hearts, minds, your soul's bearing. Let's pause for a second. What is it? And I'm not going to ask you to tell anyone. It's your secret. What is it that's really guiding your life right now? The truth is, there is something. Maybe it's the need for security. Maybe the need for security expresses itself in more money. Maybe you want to have more fun. It expresses itself in more money. Maybe you just don't want to be alone, and you're, you're, it's all about finding or keeping this right person. Or, but see, we all have these things. Maybe it's, maybe it's your reputation, being good at your work. Maybe as a mom, it's what people see in your kids. And, and before you know it, your life is about that thing. Now, some of those things are not so bad. Others, not so good. 
what Paul is encouraging us to do is to fix our eyes, our heart, our minds on a purpose, a bearing. He says, because what is seen is temporary. All these things are going to go away. But what is unseen is eternal. The problem here is that there is a battleground. Uh, Paul kind of hints at it. You see, there are things that are vying for your attention. And it creates a tension. It creates a battle. I'm sure none of you have experienced that battle this week. But I sure have. Everywhere I look, there's somebody going, hey, 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 look at me, look at me. This is worth your time. This is worth your money. This you should focus on. Wouldn't this be great? Don't you deserve this? Constantly. So the battleground that goes on is, is found in our minds, in our hearts. And the things, the areas that battle, the things that are at stake, one of those ideas, or one of those areas is ideas, right? Ideas, uh, they're kind of the general models, the assumptions about reality, the, the way we function, just these general ideas about how life works. We, we have a mental model. Some of you, when you were younger, you thought, well, if I do this and I do that, then my life will be, huh, how'd that work out? See, we all function with these mental models. Those are ideas. But there's a problem with our ideas. In Isaiah, we read this. The prophet says, for, he's quoting God now. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see the problem? We have ideas. God has ideas. And it sets up tension. Where will we choose? How will we guide? In this battle in our mind, not only is it a battle for ideas, there's also this issue of images. And this is more important today than ever. Before the year 1440, we were a story culture. I mean, the world was a, 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 a bunch of story cultures. The way information was passed on was through stories. Starting in about 1440 with the invention of the printing press, we became increasingly cultures of words. Words and sentences and paragraphs and chapters and books. But in recent years, we've, in, we've experienced another cataclysmic change where now images are the predominant way of communicating in our culture. Now, don't get me wrong, you still always need words. That's why the print is like tiny at the bottom of everything you get. Or the radio guy, still need some words, because otherwise lawyers wouldn't have anything to do. But if you think about it, they can sell you a product, they can make you content or discontent with the flash of an image. And there's a reason for that, but we don't have time to talk about it today. See, images, they don't get uh, critical thinking like words do. It does something different in our minds. Words, we take in minds and we set it on a desk and we go through it and see what it says. Images go right to our heart. Have you ever seen something? Seen an image? Seen a video? We use videos here a lot. You know why they work? Because songs and images. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, that was great. What did it say? I have no idea. <laughs> but it touched me. Images actually go right past our mind and right to our feelings. 
And guess what? Most of the decisions we make are not based on thoughts. They're based on feelings. So there's a battle with these images. By the way, we should probably be a little more careful about what we look at. The book of Habakkuk says that there are things that God himself will not look at. If there are things God won't look at, there's probably things we should not look at. And I say that because as a young man, I would think, oh, come on, come on. You can look at it, and you have to make a decision. And I've learned as an old man, sometimes you just don't look at all. Thirdly, this battle for our minds, it's ideas and it's images and it's information. The facts, knowing how things work, what's the truth? And the more we can have information, the better our decisions can be. That's true even in, in the spiritual realm. In Romans chapter 10, we read this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, you have heard that before, I hope. How then, how then can they call on one that they have not believed in? Oh, well, that, okay, that's a good point. And, and how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? Wow. And how can they hear if no one will go tell them? I've got news for you. Those people that you hope will trust Christ, they are not going to just sit in a closet somewhere and suddenly cook up the idea themselves that they're sinners, Jesus died for them, they're going to trust him as their savior. Probably won't happen. They need to hear information. In all these places, there's a battle going on. A battle for our minds. A battle for where we will take our bearing. Philippians 4.8. Paul seems to understand this, and he's trying to encourage us. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. If you have been struggling in your spiritual walk, if you feel like you have been losing the battle, could it be because enough information, God's word, the good things, the admiral things, there's not enough of that going in? See, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm here every Sunday. And the world is in your car and in your TV set and on your device 24-7. If we hope to offset that barrage of misleading information, we have to be focused on a source of good information. So there's remodeling to be done. The site, we're just described the job site. The job site is you and our minds. It's where this all happens. So here we are in our minds. We know that there's a battleground. There's one guy saying, tear it down, tear it down, tear it down. Another one's going, wait, wait, wait. This is good. Leave this tear this down. Suddenly we've got this argument going on. That's the nature of our hearts. How do we know what to destroy, what to demolish, and what to build up? Let's look just for a few minutes. Verse 3 of Colossians 3. He says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now there's a demolition plan for you. Kill it. Be the executioner. Drive a nail through its heart, he says. Now you say, that's, that's kind of extreme. Why be so intense? Like, chill. What is it with you church people? Like, just relax. 
Let me tell you why he's so intense. Well, he'll tell us in just a moment. You see, the, this plan, there it is, verse 5. Uh, come on. There we go. It would be nice if I hit the wrong, right button. Why, why so intense? He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Lives are destroyed because of these kind of things. We just had a conversation at our new campus. We're talking about fire safety and talking about taking care of things. And we acknowledge that we want whatever, whatever needs to be done in this situation, we want to do it right. Because when there's a fire, it's too late to make the decision. Right? How many things are like that in our lives? When people are saying, you know, well, I should take care of that sometime. Hey, what's going to happen to you when you die? You know, I, I need to give that some thought sometime. How, how are you, what's your standing with God? You know, I, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. There are some things that need to be taken care of now because we don't have any idea for sure that we're going to have that opportunity later. So the demolition plan is pretty clear. Kill these things. Put them to death. He goes on in verse 8. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger. Rage. And if you want, as I read these and you struggle with them, just put your hand up. <laughs> We're all friends here. No problem, right? Like, no, don't do that. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. What an interesting concept. Putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. He says, now there's a new man. It's interesting, that word new, it's actually the word for like chronologically new. Like there's a new guy on the block. Your new nature, if you're a believer, is relatively new to you. Think about it. When you were developing as a person, when does, by the way, when do people develop? When does 90% of our personality develop? What? The first year or two or three? You realize that for that entire time that you were developing as a person, you were not a believer. You were only interested in what worked best for yourself. No wonder so many of these things feel so ingrained. This new man is kind of new on the block. He says, so put on this new man who is being renewed. And it's funny, that's not the same word, not neos. This word has to do with the quality. This is the new improved. He's being improved. He's being renewed. This is the new guy, much better than the old way. It's, it's rare that the, the claim new and improved is actually true. In this case, it is. He says, put on this new person. And it's actually... Because of the construction, it says this is something that we have to do regularly. It's true of us. We have to uh, make it our own regularly. This is the kind of person I am. This is who Jesus wants me to be. This is who I want to be. That process of putting on. Have you ever tried to follow instructions that were supposed to be simple? So I actually am able to replace my own brake pads. I know, many of you have that, you do, you're doubting me, but I can actually do that, and I save myself a little bit of money. Not long ago, I found out that not only did I need brake pads, I needed rotors. I can do brake pads. I must be able to do rotors. How hard is it? 
It looked pretty simple. But the thing would not budge. It's okay, I got a secret weapon. YouTube. I went to YouTube. I watched YouTube after YouTube after YouTube about these guys. And you know what? In every video, it was really simple. First of all, the guy's wearing this like gray kind of stuff, and he's like, and he pulls the rotor off. There you go, that's how you do it. I went out there. Ask my wife. I'm banging, ding, boom, bong. I couldn't. Then I realized that finally one guy says, now make sure that you take out those two retaining screws. <laughs> so then I go out there for the retaining screws. I, I won't make the faces. It was, it was ridiculous. I even have an impact driver. Boom, boom. I'm going to strip this thing. If it, ten YouTube, 10 YouTube videos later, one guy happens to mention, oh, remember, those screws are reverse threaded. The truth is, instructions aren't always that easy to follow. When we are encouraged to put off these things, put to death these things, why is it so hard? First of all, is it hard? Have you tried? What's so hard about this? Some things are harder than they look. When I was a boy, we moved into a home, our first home, first home we ever owned. It was in Florida. And in Florida, we had one of the rooms in our house that was called a Florida room. <laughs> okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Florida room, it's stepped down about four inches. That makes it a Florida room, I guess. Stepped down from our living room. And it had all these little tiny jealousy windows on both sides. Went out to the little pool that we had. But along with that little step was this little railing, a wrought iron railing. In the middle of the living room, just a wrought iron railing. My dad said, we should take that down. I can do that. Good. It was simple. You could see the two heads, two little bolts. So I figured out what size that was, got a big old wrench, and I tried to budge those things. They didn't budge. Finally got a long breaker bar, a couple of my friends were leaning on this thing, and finally, snap, the head broke right off. <laughs> I said, well, you know what, that's the matter. As long as the head's off, now we'll pull it off this thing. <laughs> Boy, it would not come. Then we get the chisels and the hammers and the crowbars, and we're banging, and we're banging, and we're banging. And it took us forever. You know what we learned? The reason that thing was so hard to come out was that it actually had two anchor arms that went down into the poured concrete foundation. <laughs> Who does that? You know why sometimes this sin is so hard to deal with? because it's rooted much deeper in us than we knew. These patterns of thought, these patterns of reacting, they're rooted deeply in our old man, the guy that's been with you since day one. And he knows the territory, and he knows how to speak to us and how to whisper in our ear. He knows how to manipulate us and get what he wants. Our old man has been working to get what he wants our entire lives. The new man says, this has got to go. And suddenly there's this struggle because these things are anchored so deeply. Maybe you know what muscle memory is. These, these reactions are kind of built in. It's kind of like walking and chewing gum. Most of us can do it. But the only reason we can do it is because we practiced it. And you don't have to think about it. 
we learn to do things automatically. We can drive, do the radio, text your friends, watch a video while you're driving. No, you don't do that. But, but you know what I mean. We learn things, and it just becomes second nature. We can just do them without thinking. That's usually a good thing. Because if we had to decide about all those things all the time, our brain would get overloaded. No, our body learns how to make those things automatic. But apply that truth to sin. And you're going to understand why you catch yourself two-thirds of the way through a sin before you even realize it. Now, can I speak some truth to you? If you're a believer and that happens, you feel terrible. Conviction, that's good. But on the heels of that conviction comes another voice. He says, you are no good. You have been lying to everyone. Jesus loved you and still you do this to him. How long do you expect him to put up with this? You're not good at this, Mike. Just give it up. And we believe it. You know why? Because the sin happens so automatic, it just feels like, you're right, it's part of me. The truth here is that it is not a part of us. It is a part of a guy that was rooted, in, and sh- th- those things are going to come out slow, and they're going to make a lot of noise. But the person that says, I want this out, because Jesus said out, that's the real you. That's the new creation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. That is you. This is slow to come out because it's rooted deep and I'm just going to keep hammering until I get to the bottom of that anchor. Or in our case, we're going to get a reciprocating saw and just cut the thing off. <laughs> right? Don't believe for a second that the be- it's, it's hard to come out because somehow it's really a part of you. It's not. It's a part of you that is dying and will die. So he says, put off these things. Put them to death. Our identity is in Christ. Hope I'm going the right direction. Verse 11. It's interesting. Why does Paul in this whole conversation in 1 Corinthians 11, he inserts this, this, this sentence. There, here, here, where? Here, this new man, this new self. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, free, slaver free, but Christ is all and in all. How have you been identifying yourself? Maybe identify ethnically, nationally, politically. We identify as our gender. We identify as Penn State or whoever. All these different things. Eagles. Whoa. All those identities, there's one that trumps all that. None of those other things matter. What Paul says is, remember in this battle that your identity is in Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, ah. Therefore, he says, he's given us the demolition plan. This stuff's got to go. If you're not sure what to do, read through that list slowly with someone who knows you well. Ask them to say, stop, as soon as you get to something that maybe you could use some work. Okay? You won't get very far. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do you hear the descriptions? Some of you are saying, okay, Mike, I I mean, maybe that's true of you. It's not true of me. It is true of you, sister. It's true of you, brother. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. I, I can guess exactly what you've done. I've probably done it. 
He is describing how God sees you, the real you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, remember, he chose you. He could have passed you by. He chose you. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. There's a couple principles here that are important. But the first one has to do with a word. When he says clothe yourselves, the word that is used is enduo. Enduo. In fact, let's say that together. Ready? Enduo. Do it again. Enduo. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Enduo. Put it on. Like something every morning when we get up and you put it on. Some of you, maybe you have chronic health issues. You get up and you put, I have drops for glaucoma. You put them in. You put it on. Put on these things as God's dearly beloved. We slip into this new truth, and it has to be done every day, every hour, to be reminded that these things are a part of who we are. The renovation description goes on. Verse 22. Uh, well, an example of this. In Ephesians 4.22, uh, he said to a different group of believers something that's very similar. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. By the way, we could spend the entire morning just in this verse. And be made new in the attitude of your minds. Isn't it interesting? Where, where does the newness begin? Not on the outside. On the inside. made new in the attitude of your minds, verse 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. First Corinthians, he says this, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That's what's going, that's what's happening, that's what's going on. The stuff that you're getting rid of is stuff that's gonna burn. The stuff that's being built in is stuff that's gonna last. He's changing you for eternity. But Galatians says something, just adds something to me, I think that's powerful. He says in Galatians 3.27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. These, these attitudes, these actions, these things that we're trying to put on, what, what he says in Galatians is actually what you're doing is you're putting out in Christ himself. There's an important principle here that as soon as you demo something in your life, as soon as you identify that something should change, you need to replace it with something else. You knock out something, you put something better in its place. That's the principle. You leave it open and it becomes a problem, a source, a stumbling spot, a source of problem. So we demo something and we put something in its place. And that, my friends, is what the Christian life is all about. Now, if you want to know the, the full picture, you're guided by the Word of God, you're empowered by the Spirit of God, you do it in community with other believers, and you do it so the world can know Christ. We'll get there. He goes on. He's describing these reactions. First, he's talking about our reactions in the inside. 
But now look, it turns toward one another. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the, ooh, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's a great habit to get in. Remember, this is something that we're putting on. So every time I feel some angst towards someone because they've hurt me, and I don't like to be hurt because I'm actually quite tender and sensitive. Somebody hurts me, you know what I have to go to the closet and put on? I can forgive just like Christ forgave me. How's that, Mike? Completely. Did I hurt Christ? I pounded spikes through his hands. And while they were doing that, he said, Father, forgive them. I'm going to forgive like Jesus forgave me, which means I have got to be able to forgive you. And over all these virtues, verse 14, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's something that's supposed to happen in the body of Christ when we are all showing hospitality and love and patience and forgiveness. There develops a unity. Well, that's, that's what we enjoy about the crossroads. Nobody, nobody talks about you behind your back. If they did, somebody else who loves you would grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, come here and take care of this. You see, there's a unity here because we've all been forgiven the same way. Interesting. As we close, peace becomes the ambient atmosphere of our souls. Peace becomes the ambient atmosphere of our souls. What would peace feel like? What does peace sound like? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, be thankful. The word of God fills our minds, fills our, it animates all of our relationships with each other. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. By the way, here's one of the problems. Most, I talk to Christians who say, ah, it's not working, I'm struggling in my Christian life, Things aren't, God's not holding up his end of the bargain, and I have to sometimes, and myself too, I have to remind myself, it doesn't say, let the message of Christ dwell in you barely. Well, I listened to about half the message, you know, something. Something's better than nothing. He doesn't say let it dwell in you barely. He says let it dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Isn't it interesting that one of the best ways to have that message stay in you is that you try to teach it to someone else? When we encourage you to get involved in ministry somewhere, it's not because we've got slots to fill. It's because that's going to change you. The more you teach it, the more you know it. That's how I got so brilliant. <laughs> it, it could be worse, believe me. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And suddenly, all this teaching breaks into song. Amen. Because when this is having its complete work, something happens. You know, that worker, that coworker that irritates you to death. What are you so happy about? What's not to be happy about? I'm loved by the God of the universe. And the stuff that hasn't been changed yet, he's got a plan. How about you? What's wrong with you? How can Jesus help? Haunts, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. 
And then finally, he talks a little bit about our, our motive. The standard for our motive for what we do changes. And whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. It's a good diagnostic, by the way, too. If you're about to do something and you're not sure, gee, should I do this? Can I do this in Jesus' name? Suddenly, our motive is that. I remember when I first started feeling this. I was in high school. I was in high school, and Jesus saved me. And I started realizing that he wanted me to reach all my friends at high school. And I, I you, know, you know how teenagers are. Like, I was just so, I wasn't, wasn't balanced at all. Totally, just, just so filled, so excited about this. And I remembered, like, classes meant nothing. Of course, that's like every other teacher. I mean, other, every other teenager. But classes meant nothing. Extracurricular activities meant nothing. The clubs that I was a part of, the teams that I was a part of, all of it started to lose any appeal. I remember my parents were like, are you okay? Do we, have, do we have to send you to a doctor? What's going on? And I had to, wait, I, I still love running track. I still love the swim team. I, I still love the science club, the marine biology. I, actually, I like all that stuff. But there's something that I'm just so much more excited about. God wants that. Now, I wish every day of my life it had been like that. <laughs> Whatever we do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so let's be done. We're done, okay? Application questions, we're going to go. <clears throat> so according to these descriptions, what is it that could, needs to be demoed in your life? Now, here's the catch. You say, oh boy, I don't know where to start. That's a good trick, because then you won't start. You know how I know? Because I do it all the time. Oh, you don't understand. There's a million things. I'm not asking for a million things. I'm asking for one. I didn't really create a slot for it. But I wonder if you would have the courage to write the first letter of whatever that is. Just pick one. What is it that needs to be demoed in your life? You know. God, Jesus already come through, put a big red X. <laughs> Gotta go. What is it? What is it that should go in his place? Usually there is a corresponding spiritual aspect to this. The rage goes, the peace comes in. The resentment goes, the forgiveness comes in. The greed goes, the generosity comes in. The self-centeredness goes out, other-centered goes in. Me first goes out, others first goes in. What needs to go in his place? And what are you, are you going to do something about it? When? There's something very powerful about the complacency, the, the, this idea that like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get, get around to it. How many of you have a collection of round to it's at home? You can get around to it, round to it. I'm going to get around to it. You know, I should, I should. Boy, people just should, should, should. Yep, yep, I should. Yep, yep, should. You know what's nice? Say that to yourself just a little bit longer. You'll be in the parking lot, and the urge to change will go away. And you'll come back next week exactly the same. And you're going to hear a message again. But you're going to leave and spend the week exactly the same. 
And eventually, as you come in, you're going to start to say, why do I come here? Nothing ever changes. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not so naive to think it has to be today. I'm just, gonna, I'm just asking, if it isn't today, when? And what's so better about that date than today? Oh, you know, sorry, Mike, even if I picked one thing, it's not going to get, get fixed today. No, you know how you start? You just call it what it is. You write it on a piece of paper. You tell somebody, so did you have a thing? Because I had a thing. Unless, but if you're not going to tell me your thing, I am not telling you my thing. What's your, did you have a thing? What was your thing? Really? If you, are you going to pick a thing today? Tell you what, next week, I'm going to ask you if you picked a thing. And I'm going to ask you how it went, okay? Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, believer, this isn't theatrics. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, a preacher here. I, I've been wrestling with this. We all should wrestle with this. What is it that needs to be torn down next in your life? Jesus isn't done. I don't think you've arrived. So what is it? Is it, is it something huge? That, that, that crippling, life-destroying addiction? Or, or is it that nagging kind of attitude of resentment? Not nearly, it doesn't sound nearly as bad, but boy, it's always there and it always comes up. Is it that kind of need to be busier than everyone else around you to prove that you're worth? Or is this that little bit of smugness that, you know, gee, I, I've, got a, I've got a margin, I've got a cushion, I'm good, nothing bad can happen. I don't know what it is for you. It doesn't have to be big or small, but pick the thing. God wants to change it. Will you let him? Will you start to replace the old with the new? Put on, in duo, put on the new man. Put them on regularly this week. And then we'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for not just saving us to give us a ticket to heaven. You have saved us, which means that we are in the process of being changed to be like you. And you're relentless in pursuing that. You will not stop trying to change us, but you will not do it against our will. And so I pray that we would relinquish our stubbornness and our fear, that we would listen to you, that we would start wherever it is that you're putting it on our hearts right now, that we would start there, that we'd have the courage to maybe share it with someone so that they can help us process. We don't do this well alone. Help us to be searching your word and listening to your spirit and to find what is it that you're trying to change. If you could change something this week, we would be refreshed by your presence in our lives. We'd be emboldened by the demonstration of your power. We know it's your will, and so we ask you to do this in us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. 
visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.